Hey, everybody. Yeah, as John said, not ideal. Um, but yeah, this this weekend heard somebody um, somebody had uh, COVID-like symptoms, and they were in the emergency room, and I was in contact with them. So um, yeah, instead of expose all of you, I think this is probably the way to go. So thank you for bearing with us and bearing with me and all of this. Um, she is okay, our friend. She's out of the ER. She's at home just recovering with, um, with a high fever right now. So keep her in your prayers, though, for right now. Um, yeah, let's pray, and then we'll continue with our Among Us series. Lord, God, we just praise you. Pray that, Lord, we would, as we open your word, that we would just submit ourselves to you, God. Uh, submit ourselves to your word and follow you as best we can. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, I guess before I get going, I'll answer a couple of the questions that you probably have. Um, one, those are fake flowers behind me. Actually, I went the wrong way. Those are fake flowers. And two, um, I am wearing pants. Yes, I'm wearing pants. I'm not doing the classic anchorman thing. All right. I'm assuming you're laughing. Judging Ian's not. Good. <laughs> so our campaign, as John said, is called Among Us. And we've been going through the end of Rome. So Romans 12 through 16 is basically Paul's application of the whole book where he taught, he's, he's spent 11 chapters talking about theology. And then at the end, uh, beginning in chapter 12, he transitions and therefore, so out of all of this theology in light of all of God's mercy, here's how the churches in Rome should live. So he's writing this to a bunch of house churches, and he's, he's writing this to encourage them to live a specific way in light of a lot of the circumstances they were facing. So last week we talked about submitting to governing authorities. One of their big questions was probably, should we pay taxes? Should we not pay taxes? And Paul says, yes, you should just pay your taxes. Um, today we're in chapter 14 and he's going to transition into another aspect of how they should live in light of the theology that he's talked about. And that is how they should live with one another. Now, before I jump into this, uh, there's a good bit of, background that we need to know before uh, we read this or else it just isn't going to make any sense. So let's, let me give you the background and then we're just going to read the whole chat through. I'll make a couple of points on it. So uh, background here, Paul, he speaks of two different groups of people within the Roman house. He, he calls one group the weak in faith, which is <laughs> a bit offensive, right? He calls one group weak in faith and the other group strong in their faith. The most likely scenario is those who are weak in faith were uh, primarily Jewish Christians who felt as if they needed to continue adhering to the Sabbath laws and to the kosher food laws of the Old Testament. Okay, they remember they had been exiled from Rome and they had just come back. They were exiled for five years. They had come back, and they, when they returned, they likely didn't have their same slaughterhouses, their same ways of purchasing food that they had had before. 
So when they returned to Rome, they couldn't be sure that the food they were purchasing in the marketplace was uh, according to kosher standards. So what they would do is just not eat meat. Most likely they would just eat vegetables. Um, the strong, on the other hand, were those Christians, probably mostly made up of Gentile Christians, but there were likely some Jewish Christians in this group as well. The strong in faith, as Paul says, those uh, were the folks in the church who felt as if they could eat anything and their conscience did not convict them. Okay, so we hear this and we think, what's the deal, right? This isn't a very big problem. I don't understand. But in the first century church, this was a huge debate, a huge discussion. Um, the question of the gospel going forward into other cultures and other communities was at the heart of it. How do we make these Jesus communities in a place like Rome that is not following the Jewish laws generally as a culture? How do we combine people from the, the, who had grown up in the Jewish faith and now have accepted Jesus, how do we bring them into the same community of people who haven't been uh, following the Jewish faith and kosher laws and Sabbath rituals and holy days, circumcision is in there, all of that stuff. How do we make these two cultures blend into one in the Jesus community? So it's a huge question in the early church. In fact, it, it sparked... It was the topic of the, the first council in Acts chapter 15. And even after that, there were some general recommendations that came out of it, but the issue wasn't fully settled. Because we see Paul, he kind of tweaks some of the things that they even said at the Acts 15 council. So remember, this is a big question. The implications of it are very far-reaching. Because the question at the heart of this is, how is the gospel going to make it to all the nations? How does this Jesus movement work in a place like Rome, uh, in a place like Corinth, or any other city? So, that's at the heart of this. With that in mind, let's read Roman. I'm going to share my screen. So, see and read along with me. Here's what it says, Romans 14. Oh, I'm not at the right verse. There we go. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains judgment on the one who eats. God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains in honor of God and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. 
For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live, whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you advise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for any who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer working in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned. If he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whoever, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So at the end here, Paul makes a pretty broad statement that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Uh, to understand this, we have to go back to a lot of what Paul has said previously about how salvation is and always has been by faith and by faith in God. Uh, Abraham, he was the... Uh, he was saved by faith, he talks about in Romans chapter 4. This we'll all kind of explore in the devotional. So everything, he runs it out, everything that we do, if it's not from faith, is sin. So uh, here's, here's kind of the big idea that I read through very quickly. We'll go through this more in the devotional specifically. Um, but for our time today, and so I'm not talking forever, on the screen, uh, here's our big idea. <laughs> Christianity is for everyone without distinction, so we must not exclude anyone over disputable matters. Okay, so when I say Christianity is for everyone without distinction, what I mean is that it is for everybody without distinction of things like nationality, things like race, things like gender, um, anything. Right. Paul says a number of times that uh, there's no slave or free, Jew or Greek, barbarian, Scythian. And he goes through this long list of former things that had distinguished people from the kingdom of God. And now he says those categories are gone. So this is for everybody. The Christian movement is for everybody. So we have to be careful not to exclude anyone 
over these what Paul calls are disputable matters, or the ESV here translated opinions in 14 verse 1. So the key here too is that we're talking about uh, matters of opinion um, and not matters of essential doctrine or matters of ethical imperatives. Okay, so the Roman Christians in these house churches were likely uh, not viewing their Sabbath practice or their eating and following the dietary laws as salvific for their salvation. They were probably just viewing these as helpful for their life with Christ. In Galatians, they were viewing their practices following the law as salvific, and Paul comes down really hard on them, and he says, no, uh, you can't follow these things. He basically says, uh, if you're following part of the law, then you have to follow all of it. And if you're trusting in that for salvation, what he means is you have to be perfect, which you're not going to be. So point is, he comes down a lot harder there. So the situation here is a little different, and he's not talking about ethical imperatives because he comes down a lot harder on those as well. And he says, these are the ways that you're supposed to live. So he's talking about these disputable matters. That doesn't mean that there isn't a true or a right um, view of this on these disputable matters. He says a number of times that everything is clean. He knows he's convinced of this, but if your conscience convicts you about it, he says, then don't participate in these because it's wrong for you. So first, we have to notice Paul takes a very nuanced approach here. How easy would it have been for him to just say, uh, no, everything is clean, eat whatever you want. Um, You who are weak in faith, you're wrong. You need to adhere to these other standards. He doesn't. He leaves room for disagreements and for opinions. And remember, the key here is how the gospel is going forward into these new cultural expressions. This week in the devotional, I'll link you to a couple of the Bible Project podcasts on this. They're going through a series right now on the people of God, and it's crazy good. Um, I think in the first podcast in this series, they say that Christianity is the most diverse religious movement in the history of the world. Think about that for a minute. I think it's true that the gospel of Jesus can be adopted into every cultural expression. That's fascinating, especially by global standards um, and and other religious movements. That just doesn't happen. And this is what's at stake here is how is the gospel going to go forward into these other cultures? So I'm just going to apply it really quick here for you, and then I'll get off the screen. Um, (laughs) So a couple of things that we should take, big picture things from this, is first to avoid Um, self-righteousness. That is thinking that your religious piety makes you better than another follower of Jesus. That by practicing certain practices or disputable matters that Paul is talking about here, having certain opinions and approaches to faith makes you better than your brother or sister in Christ. Instead, Paul tells us to honor the Lord with our actions, to Honor God with how we live. If it helps you to experience the presence of God and to know him better, practice those. Go ahead, but don't think that that makes you better than others. An example here, um, and this isn't one-to-one with what was going on there, 
but um, maybe um, drink, if drinking alcohol, okay? If that sets off your conscience, don't drink it. But if you think I'm holier than thou because I don't partake, um, then I don't think you're following this principle well. If you're okay having a drink without getting drunk, obviously the biblical standard says don't get drunk, right? That's where the line uh, of ethical imperatives comes in. Uh, without getting, if you're okay having a drink without getting drunk, don't think that you're better than those whose conscience still prevents them from doing so, okay? And the flip side of that is true as well. If you are okay having a drink, then you can't say, well, I'm, I'm better understanding my Christian freedom. I'm better uh, than others whose conscience is still convicting them. I've come further along. Okay, you can't do that either. Both forms of self-righteousness will be very destructive for your community life. Next, um, legalism is another one. Avoid legalism. That is imposing your convictions uh, regarding these disputable matters upon others. Instead, as Paul says here, you stand and fall before your own master, the Lord, in these areas. So, another example, if practicing the Sabbath and taking a day to rest and, and worship and all of that helps you connect with God, go ahead and do it. But, you can't make that a requirement for others to be a part of the family of God. And be careful with how you talk about it, too. Uh, don't talk about it like you're better than others and, and try to subtly get them to do what you're doing. OK, if it helps you, go ahead. Um, and if it helps, but you can't hold others to that same standard. You can encourage them and say this has helped me in my walk with God. And I would encourage you to try it. But. You can't force that upon anybody because we have this freedom in Christ. Similarly, if you don't practice the Sabbath, uh, don't get into arguments with others and look on them with disdain because you know that you're right theologically and we're no longer obligated to uphold those practices. All right. A couple of examples that still happen today, maybe not as, as much as they did back then, but they still do. So, Instead of those things, the things that we should pursue is first, love. Be willing to lay down your right um, as a part of your Christian freedom for the benefit of others. So that, as Paul says, you don't cause them to stumble or hinder them in their faith. Because, remember in this situation, Paul was even right, but he encourages them to act in love. He does take a side and say one side is right and one side is wrong. But... In these disputable matters, you might be right about this particular dispute, but if you aren't acting in love, you're wrong. We must act in love in these matters. We'll talk more about this next week when ta Paul talks about Jesus as our example. And we talked about it previously when we talked about the incarnation and how Jesus gave up his right for others. So the second thing we need to pursue is grace. We have to show grace for one another's differences. There are many differences in the church in these disputable matters, and we must show grace for one another. So later on in the service, that's what I'm going to ask you guys to reflect on. What are some of these disputable matters in which you struggle to show grace for other believers? 
Is it something like secondary or non-essential doctrinal issues, things like end times theology, um, things like creation theology, things like um, Calvinism, Arminianism, that you just have a hard time showing grace for those who disagree with you? Is it things like politics? Um, is it things like your version of health and, and how we should be healthy? Is it things like alcohol, smoking, uh, somebody's work ethic or other personal interests? If, if they're not interested in the same things as you, then we just can't get along and we just can't be friends, right? Within the church. We have to show grace for one another in these disputable matters. Okay, I'm going to pray. So, Ben, you guys can come on up. I can't see what's happening. But I'm going to pray, and then um, we're going to go on with the service and sing praises to God together. So, Lord, God, we praise you. We glorify your name. We thank you that, Lord, you have expanded uh, your people, that the gospel is available, Lord, for people of every nationality, people from every tribe, People, Lord, all of those former categories that have divided us, Lord, they no longer do because of Jesus, Lord, because of your work. God, give us, give us your grace to help us love one another. Give us your wisdom to help us know what are these disputable matters that we can disagree on. And Lord, give us grace. Give us your grace for those whom we disagree with, that we might live together in unity and Lord, that we might ultimately love one another as you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, God, for your love for us, for your grace and mercy for us. Lord, that you sent Jesus to take away our sins. You sent Jesus to achieve victory over death and over guilt and over shame. We thank you, Lord. I think sometimes we tend to um, we tend to over individualize the love of Jesus and. Uh, Sometimes it's, sometimes it's because the songs that we hear on the radio, the Christian songs, the songs we sing in church, sometimes they're over-individualized and we forget. We forget when we sing um, what we just sang. That uh, the blood of Jesus covers every moment of my life and all of my sins and all of my shame but that's not just for me. And sometimes we forget that it's not just for me. And so as we reflect on, on what John taught today, as he's, as he's teaching out of Romans 14, and, and our tendency towards self-righteousness, our tendency towards legalism, our, te our tendency towards pride in our heart and judging others out of that, I want us to remember that Jesus died for me. He did. But he didn't just die for me. He didn't just die for, 
for my weaknesses and my hangups and the things that I struggle with. He died for the world. He died for everybody. And um, so we have to live out that truth in the ways that we apply grace and love to others. So as, as we're sitting, I want us to reflect for a second. What is something that we struggle to remember that the blood of Jesus covers? What is something that we struggle to remember that God sent Jesus for? Because it's not just my stuff, right? Where do we struggle to show love and grace? God, would you reveal to us in our hearts, Lord, where there's self-righteousness, where there's a lack of love, where there's a lack of mercy, where there's a lack of grace, even where there's a lack of understanding. For our, our church, we're coming out of a, I think we're coming out of a very uh, tumultuous season. That's true for most of the world. It's certainly true for a lot of churches, and it's true for ours. Um, a big part of the way forward is this message right here. A big part of the way forward is in our ability to extend grace, our ability to love people, who don't see everything exactly the way that we do. A big part of our way forward is being able to speak the truth in love. Not avoid the truth, but speak it in love. I hope you guys are, I hope you guys are ready and excited to join us on a, on a journey of pursuit of love and grace in unity with one another in this coming year. It's through that pursuit, it's through the pursuit of love and grace and unity in relationship that we become more like Jesus. It's in navigating relationships with people that we don't always agree with that we have to love. Love, you know, love is easy sometimes, right? I think of... uh, think of like the early stages of, of a relationship when it's, you know, the honeymoon phase, whatever you want to call it, right? Well, church, we're not in the honeymoon phase. Love can be hard. Love can be really hard, but that's when we grow. That's when we become more like Jesus. 
And so as, as, we, as we go through the devotionals this week and we can continue through Romans, I want us to be reflecting on that. Where do we struggle to show love and grace? I struggle with people who just don't, don't see what I see. I struggle when I look at a situation and I say, it's clearly this, and somebody else says, no, it's not. I struggle with that. I struggle with when to, when to tell them what I think. Usually if I do tell them what, what I think, I end up talking to them like they're stupid a little bit. I don't want to do that. So that sometimes I avoid it instead, and then I don't speak what I believe is the truth. I think a lot of us have some similar struggles. I think there's been a lot of that in this last year. But when we struggle, when I struggle, I'll just speak for me, when I struggle to extend love and grace to people, um, I can, I make a lot of assumptions about what they're thinking. I make a lot of assumptions about the thoughts and the reasons behind their thinking. And I fill in a lot of blanks for them rather than having conversations with them. And uh, that's not the way of Jesus. So as we pursue love, as we pursue grace, as we do that in our church community, in our families, in our, you know, our marriages, in our workplace, wherever it is. As we do that, if we, if we pursue it, we will, we will become more like Christ. The, the one other thing I'm going to say is that we aren't going, we aren't going to do it effectively without the help of the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's, that's something that you need to invite the Holy Spirit into in, in your lives. And all of us, we need to invite the Holy Spirit in to those conversations and, and into the ways that we're navigating those relationships. Because naturally, just, just me as, as a person, I'm not particularly loving and I'm not particularly gracious. But God can change my heart and the Holy Spirit can make me those things. So God, I pray today that you would you would lead us down that path. That you would, you would show us the hang-ups in our own lives. You would show us the, uh, the blind spots. Lord, I, show us where, I pray you would show us where we're wrong about things. Just reveal truth in our hearts, Lord, that nobody else has to tell us. Lord, just show us where we're wrong about things. And then, God, show us where we're right about things, but, but, we, but we're not loving in how we apply that. God, I pray that, that our, our hearts would be open to your truth and your love. God, that our pride would be stripped away. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We're going to sing just a little more, and then we're going to close our service. Why don't you stand and join us?